everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lunar Crush Live. We are live this morning with Ben Gervais, co-founder and tech lead at Kefi. What's up, Ben? How's it going, guys? Good, man. Good, man. Great. Thank you so much for uh, for being here, John. As always, it's a uh, it's a pleasure. Um, you know, we always need to get started real quick, Ben, and just let everyone know, um, you know, that we just disclaimer: we do not take payment for our live streams. We bring on cool projects, have fun conversations get to know them, um, learn about how they build in the industry um, and how we're all changing the world together. Uh, make sure you guys get a, get in there and ask some questions for Ben in the chat. Um, we'll do our best to try and get to that stuff. Um, and then uh, hit that subscribe button. That's what we do. We're going to br keep bringing on fun, awesome people um, like Ben and uh, keep bringing them to you and uh, try and uh, help everyone out in the industry to understand what we're all doing here. So Ben, where, where are you in the world today? Uh, what's it like there? So I'm on uh, the uh, West Coast, but up north um, in uh, BC, um, just, uh, I guess, a little bit outside of Vancouver um, on a place called Salt Spring Island. Great show. Ooh. Nice place. Yeah. Nice. Beautiful. That's, that's super cool. Yeah, um, it is. It is. It's nice to get away from the winter. Um. <laughs> does it get, is it, is it snow up there, but you're so close to the water, it probably, probably doesn't. Here it's like the Hawaii of Canada, basically. So like, um, it'll just go down to around zero, like in the winter. <laughs> but um, like, where I was, I was just in Calgary last year, and um, yeah, it'll go down like minus thirty. It's right beside the Rockies. So yeah. that's awesome. I've never heard the the Hawaii of Canada, um, but I'm and now I'm interested. <laughs> They're um, both islands. They're both <laughs> islands. It's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like so, the yeah, warmest, it's the warmest place in Canada, but that's okay. still not saying much. It's like I will be, I will be looking at Wikipedia later about that for sure. Um, so yeah, man, tell us about your, your history. How did you get into the space? Um, you know, what makes you passionate about cryptocurrency? You know, what, what makes it tick? Why are you, uh, why are you in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in 2013, uh, well, that was the first time I like got into, I guess, Bitcoin at that time still. And, um, Litecoin and there's a bunch of other altcoins there and like it kind of blew my mind a little bit still because um, up until that point like that I I just kind of assumed that I wasn't allowed to like do things like trade stocks or whatever like that was like out of my league or something right that's for you know people with um, you know investment accounts or, or or you know they have a broker or something right I'm pretty fine I was at that point I was very let's say financially illiterate um, so then you know, it's like, oh, but I knew websites, right? Websites is something I've been doing for a long time. So like development, like web software development, stuff like that. Um, but it, it blew my mind, like where I could just go in there and like, you know, make like a hundred bucks in like a minute or something, right? You know, um, that volatility um, and sort of like the the exchanges that were around there still, that was a, a very new thing that, that uh, I immediately got interested in. I was like, this is cool. So, um, and yeah, I remember like the first like weekend or something where I just basically sat on the computer on, uh, was it BTCE? I don't know if you guys remember that exchange still. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, you know, like the troll box and stuff I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Right. Um, so the kind of, I guess like my mindset is always very entrepreneurial and like, um, you know, I've got about a, a hundred, you know side projects have come and gone like you know over the years right um so it's like okay we got to make an analytics site look at this like this like cryptocurrency charts.info this is garbage like you know we can do better than this right so 
Um, so I like, bought a bunch of domains, I do all this stuff, right? And then like, I don't know, was it like three, four months later, like the price tanked? I was like, oh, that's not good. Like, um, so then I ended up working on different startups. I worked on like a travel startup. Um, I worked on like a, like a health startup for like, you know, like biohacking and stuff, right? I got, you know, sidetracked and sort of left crypto away until 2017 when I came back. So uh, by 2017, I had been working for a couple of, I guess, three years on another startup that was in like social sort of chat messaging type of stuff. Um, and that went actually really well. Um, and we were going to do an ICO. Um, so we were like uh, going to call it influence. And it was like an influence, uh, uh, influencer, you know, ecosystem type of thing. You know, I, like at that point, it's like token economy. All the ICOs were like, oh, we're going to make a token economy around like, you know, industry X or something. Right. So yeah. ours was like, you know, influencers. We had this app already that had tons and tons of um, uh, mostly inf- Instagram influencers. Right. Um, who are already on board. So like, yeah, we're going to build that. But then kind of like last second um it just didn't go through i guess there were like legal implications or or stuff that there were concerns about there um and at the exact same time uh selfkey did their ico for a key token um and i was in the same i was this was, at this time i was living in thailand so I, i'd been in thailand for about five years still um and uh, Edmund, who's the founder of SelfKey, was living in the same city um, where I was still. So um, I went to go meet him. I think it was the day after they did their ICO. Um, and they were like, just like, oh, we need like developers or whatever. Right? So I came and I went to work with them first in like DevOps for the SelfKey wallet. Um, then I started working on the SelfKey browser extension. Um, and then um started working on uh, in the R&D team um, with Edmund and uh, another guy named Carlos. And um, yeah, we started really, that's when I really started getting into, I guess, uh, decentralized identity, self-sovereign identity, credentials and stuff like that. Um, So that was, you know, a big, um, that was a great opportunity for me to learn a lot about um, uh, identity and decentralization at a deeper level beyond sort of like the superficial financial stuff. Right. Um, and uh yeah really deep dive into like ethereum um you know smart contracts how all that works um and then i guess it was when DeFi started going so i mean like we had been talking like to different DeFi platforms like MakerDAO and like ave and stuff like pretty early on um but then it was like i guess it was yeah 2020 early 2020 when things really start to pick up and we're watching DeFi like every day, right? We're like, oh, like we got to do something in DeFi. Got to do something in DeFi. What are we gonna do something in DeFi, right? Um, <laughs> so uh, in the in the R and D department, we did um, a few different sort of like internal POCs for like a rebalancer um, and for a risk scoring tool. So um, that was one of the things that we were talking about was like, oh, okay, so if we're doing all of this identity stuff, how can we use identity in DeFi? Um, you know, we're talking about like um, under collateralized loans and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, we were exploring that, uh, risk scoring of the different DeFi platforms. So I created a, a risk scoring methodology that takes like, you know, 30, 40 different points and tries to, you know, uh, create a score out of that still. Um, and then we started talking about, uh, creating a second token to go along with the key token that would work as an incentivization model, um, you know, for, well, I guess like uh, to go back to the identity stuff, that was more about like um, 
you could stake tokens on your identity and like uh, sort of have have it play into that. Um, but eventually it just sort of wandered further and further away from identity. Uh, and um, we decided like, okay, you know what? Like, let's just spin it off. It can be its own project. Um, and it'll just focus on DeFi. And yeah, it'll do, we'll do some stuff with identity. Like, so we do have, um, you know, a credentials platform, um, you know, that's using sort of like self keys technology and, um, you know, we've created a, a pool where, you know, people can stake self keys, key tokens, but they have to have the, the identity credential in order to access that still. So it's a, you know, it's a permission pool there still. Um, so that's, that was a good sort of like pilot project for that use case. Um, and there's actually, you know, additional demand for that as well too, because, um, you know, there are sort of, I guess, you know, um, interests out there that want to get into DeFi. They like the way that the infrastructure is built. They like the technology there, but they have legal concerns about, you know, source of funds and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, who's on the other side of that trade or, you know, like, uh, you know, if it's money market, like, you know, who's, who's lending and borrowing where the, you know, all of that thing. Right. So um, yeah, there's still some demand for that. Um, so that's, that is part of it, but um, ultimately, you know, for this project for KeyFi, it's just really shifted entirely towards DeFi and um, sort of like the, the niche that, um, you know, that we're wanting to focus on is, is very much on the app layer. So um, yeah, we're not, not really a protocol project, you know, um, we have some on-chain uh, stuff that's happening, but um, it's all ultimately about the app. So this is, um, you know, collecting data. That's obviously is priority. Number one is just enormous amounts of data, you know, that's available. I mean, you guys know that you focus a lot on uh, social data, right? Um, so collecting all the data, analyzing it, uh, building machine learning models to analyze this data, um, and then creating uh, an alert system that is basically connecting all these data points into alerts, and then finally tying that all together with automation. So basically, it's like we can do automated transactions based on the alerts, you know, based on the data. It all works together. And then, you know, working on building a really nice UX, right? Um, so we have an awesome designer on our team, um, you know, who's, um, you know, been really, really great uh, at... Um, sort of taking some of like our chicken scratch ideas that, that usually I come up with the like, you know, pen and paper and like, yeah, this is kind of what it is. And then you'll make something like amazing and beautiful out of it. So um, that's been really awesome. And then um, we also, we also just hired another guy. He's a math PhD um, who's been able to really help with like, um, you know, formulas and um, stuff like that. And he's, uh, you know, helping take the lead with the sort of some of the data analysis and uh, machine learning models um, as well, too. So yeah, can been, you Ben? can you talk a little bit about that and, and some of the data that you're pulling and, and how you're aggregating it and how you're you're kind of quantifying and, and creating insights out of that? Yeah. So um, basically what we're doing is we're going after just as much data as we can in a raw format um, and, you know, try to do like historical time series and get all of that uh, very raw and some call it data lake. Right. Um, so after, and then after that, then, you know, there's basically a bunch of different sort of uh, opportunities there to take that data. And like you said, get insights from it. Uh, one of the first ones that we're working on for a machine learning model prototype is, um, just a DeFi interest rate, uh, prediction. Right. So it's basically like, okay, um, I have stable coins, for example. Right. Uh, I want to put my stable coins in sort of like the best place for a yield. Um, 
you know, we're going to take all the historical data for all the interest rates. Um, we'll take some additional data about, uh, you know, risk scoring for different platforms, stuff like that, and be like, okay, what's going to be the best allocation for this, right? So then the machine learning model is going to give us, um, you know, output for that and say, okay, you know what, you should put, you know, 60% in compound USDC, you should put 30% in Aave, you know, DAI or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever it ends up, you know, coming out with, right? So, you know, the different platforms, different assets, um, at this point, also, we're looking at different chains, too. Also, Binance Smart Chain and Polygon on top of uh, the Ethereum-based ones, right? So, um, you know, splitting across all of those three. So that's sort of, that's sort of the, the first one. But, I, I mean, you know, these can have different objectives. And this ties into um, a concept that we have on-chain called K-tokens. Um, so it's not yet released. But basically, it's uh, like um, fungible interest-bearing tokens that are uh, powered by an AI model, right? So it's not individuals that are deciding um you know what that token is going to allocate into right so um is going to be sort of you know the ai model that's deciding that allocation and then the community will vote on that whether or not to implement the token still and then people can basically pull into that token it allocates into different DeFi platforms based on what the ai model said and you know then you get back a interest bearing token so it's kind of like uh, you're aggregating the the APY from all of the different tokens that the community votes on. Um, and so if you hold this key token or uh, do you say K token? Yeah. Um, yeah. If, you if you hold that, then you're just getting the kind of yield farming from all the different interest bearing coins that the community has voted on. Well, it's that the AI picks out and then the community votes to confirm it. Gotcha. Right? gotcha. Yeah. So the AI is the suggestion engine. Um, exactly. And then the community yeah. kind of does the final stamp of approval to say, yes, this gets included into the yield of you holding this K token. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Super cool. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's still K, so K tokens, like a separate token entirely from the KeyFi token. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So KeyFi is, um, you know, the utility token as uh, used for governance. Um, you can also do staked access for a KeyFi Pro app. So um, we're going to be launching the private beta very, very soon for the uh, KeyFi Pro. We're just sort of for Lunar Crush users only. Is that what you're trying to say? No. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Why not? Um, no. I, we, we're doing um, basically it's uh, staked access. So um, you have KeyFi tokens. You stake them get access to it right uh and then that'll that'll carry on even after the private beta is closed so that would be part of the the uh, token economic model is you have stake staking get you get your access there so um you could also use it if you just want to pay for the subscription and not uh, stake it um you know that's fine as well and then obviously it's uh as an incentivization model right for you know do liquidity mining uh for a token but then also for the k token pools you get a little incentive that comes back still and there's a whole sort of like you know, burning and buyback mechanism um, that I've outlined for this as well um, to try and make the pool self-sustaining, um, you know, over the long term still. So, you know, that's like, you know, uh, what we call bonding, bonding curve um, for the rewards rate. Um, and then you sort of like periodically it will uh, burn them to create a deflationary effect and um, then like do buybacks into the, to refill the reward pool on the, um, on the smart contracts. So, Ben, how do we how do we help translate some of what you're doing? Like we, you know, we spend a lot of time, you know, it's like a lot of people kind of don't even understand like traditional finance, right? And so it's like they don't understand credit cards. How do you how do you get across the hump of you know, hey, someone doesn't understand a credit card, um, but hey, we do um, AI driven, algorithmically um, balanced, uh, AI suggested uh, yield farming, right? How do you how do you turn that into 
um, hey, come here um, and you're going to get the best return. Like, like, how are you guys thinking about like messaging and everything when you're, you've got kind of all this science behind what you're doing? Right. Yeah. Um, so that comes down to, you know, we have uh, obviously I mentioned our designer before, right? You know, helps make things, you know, to try and be simple um, and user friendly. There's kind of two ways that you can go. Um, obviously there is one, one way where you are trying to simplify and cater to, you know, a large audience. Right. Um, but that's also not necessarily everything that we're doing. We do have two apps. One is the Keyfy core app, which is, you know, kind of more simple, straightforward and, um, you know, can evolve into that sort of thing where you're saying like, where you're really, really simplifying it and making it e easy and accessible. Right. Um, but, with the pro app, we're kind of going in the opposite direction where we want to give, uh, you know, you know, more control, more tools, more data, more, you know, every, more things, right. For not necessarily for every user, it could just be for pro traders or, you know, people who are a little more, um, I guess, involved, like you have, have a, bit more, a bit more knowledge of, of both finance and crypto. So, right. Um, you know, so then would understand like, okay, you know, I'm creating a long position here. I need to set, you know, a stop loss here. You know, like, um, you know, they have some sort of a strategy or a trading thesis or something that they want to follow. Um, and then, you know, giving them tools to, you know, do research, manage their strategy, manage their positions um, in uh, in a new kind of intuitive way. So, um, you know, there's a few new features that would be coming out with about that. And, um the other thing is not just to manage, you know, traditional positions, like I said, like a long or short or something, but also to manage these, uh, these DeFi, these yield positions in a sense, right? Um, bless you. <laughs> uh, where, um, you know, basically you've, Sorry. you've got, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> where you're, you're focused on earning yield, right? So, you know, I am adding, you know, a single asset to a DeFi platform and earning yield on that single asset, or I'm adding two assets paired into a liquidity pool and then I'm going to farm rewards there and then I'm going to sell those rewards and then add more to my, you know, liquidity pool holdings. Right. So it's, it's like a different way to manage a position, but it's still, you know, it's a position still. Right. So, um, yeah, creating, creating tools around sort of like, especially those use cases. Um, yeah, it might, it might not be for everybody, you know, <laughs> in that sense. Yeah. It's interesting that what you're saying, though, because I mean, we talked to a lot of different DeFi projects and it sounds like you're really, really focused on AI, on automation, on making decisions for the users because it's way too complicated and it just gets more complicated as the ecosystem grows. I guess I'd, yeah. I'd be curious, you know, like with where you're going, who do you see your user being? And I guess where do you see this evolving to? Right. So I think there's a there's a few different users. Um Basically, I, our, I guess our target user right now is any sort of retail crypto trader, right? Who is not, not, not a holder. A holder doesn't really need much. They just need a wallet pretty much, right? And they're just going to, you know, dollar cost average maybe, you know, or just, you know, do a, a few big buys here and there and they're just going to hold it for five years or whatever, right? It's not, we don't, they don't really need a bunch of tools and stuff, right? So this is really more for, for traders and for people who are really trying to be aggressive with um, earning DeFi yields um, that could have complex strategies um, that they want to automate, um, you know, or simplify, you know, take, a, take away the uh, opportunity for human error. Um, or, you know, get additional data, you know, get, get alerts. There's, you know, 
we can connect um, so many of these different data points just to the alert system, um, you know, beyond there's so much more beyond price and volume, right? You know, um, <laughs> price and volume alerts. Sure. Like that's, that's an easy thing. Right. But um, you know, what if I want to create a bot that basically um, that buys or sells based just on sentiment data, for example, right. Um, and be able to hook that into that sentiment data, you know, create alert, hook that into the actions, you know, create an automation process for that still. So, yeah. Um, what was the question? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, just, you know, we're, well, <laughs> it, this was about really the, the type of users that are using this and I guess where you see this all going. I mean, you know, you could, you could pull in data infinitely and you can automate infinitely. And, and I guess where, what does the end game look like with all of this? The end game looks like our users using these tools to generate return, you know, that's, and if it does the job, then people are going to be happy with that. Right. So push a button, get yield done. Yeah. It's like super, <laughs> super simple. Cool. Yeah. No, I, I just thinking a little bit about, you know, even kind of like looking at your, your site here and um, you know, the different kind of pools, it, it's like, you know, how do you guys think about the different chains now? Right. Like there's, right. we've got Ethereum, we've got BSC, you know, like you're saying like Polygon, there's Solana, you know, there's, there's stacks with Bitcoin, there's, you know, there's Avalanche and AVAX, like there's, there's all these, there's Algorand, right? Like all of these kind of like next layer, um, you know, kind of DAP building tools that are going to be out there. Like, how do you guys, like, I see like Ethereum and BSC on there. Obviously like, there's a lot of action there. You can't deny it, you know, whether or not the BSC, like it will still TBD, what kind of happens with this like meme token economy over here, um, which I think they desperately need to figure out the next iteration of what that, looks like um, now that they've kind of created the pools um, and they, they probably should have had a plan going in. Um, but how do you guys think about, or how, just how, how are you thinking about all these different kind of um, chains out there? And like, it, like, you know, I know you're still kind of growing these early stage things, but like, how do you, how are you going to think about adding new things that they, when they come up, like what's the trigger there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so polygons next on our list. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, uh, multi-chain, right. Um, Right now, we're prioritizing like EVM compatible chains, um, just because it's easy for us to integrate. Right? You know, it's the same Web three calls using the same MetaMask wallet. Right? So it's easy for users um, to switch between Binance Smart Chain, Polygon, Ethereum. You know, um, like from a technical perspective, um, you know, Solana looks pretty good. Um, but all of these other chains, like there's there's always this um, the trade off. I'm sure you guys have talked about this. Lot still, um, you know, decentralization and you know security, right? You know, and speed, right? Um, you know, transaction speed, how fast it's going, transaction cost, how cheap the transaction fees are, right? So there's these these trade offs that are happening whenever they're building them, right? I mean, like you know, Binance Smart Chain has what 21 validators, right? So um, that's like not a lot right? <laughs> compared to right. you know uh, <laughs> Ethereum or something, right? Um, so. Yeah, I, at the same time, like we're not in the business of like judging protocols and stuff, right? We will, you know, adapt to where the liquidity goes, right? Uh, we integrated with Binance Smart Chain because it was in demand. Like, you know, people said, hey, we want BSC. Like, and then you go and look on PancakeSwap and there's like, you know, I, I think at the peak, there's like eight or $9 billion of, uh, of liquidity on PancakeSwap, mm -hmm. right? You know, um, that's like, 
you know, meme token or not, you know, it's uh right. That that's a whole whole strange phenomenon that's that's happened with all of that still. And um personally for our project, we're not, you know, memeing ourselves at all still, right? Like we want to be pretty professional and like you know straightforward but uh as a crypto enthusiast i i love it like you know like i think it's hilarious um but uh yeah um as far as yeah deciding which chains um right now again you know prioritizing evm compatibility um for now and i mean if something comes out and like dethrones ethereum or something then you know obviously we'll jump on it that's sort of the nice position that we're in is that um we're building something where the objective is kind of just to connect with everything, right? So we want to be on multiple chains, you know, multiple wallets, multiple platforms, mm-hmm. multiple assets, right? Um, and to be able to bring all of these in and um, not necessarily everything, but kind of like an 80-20 approach, you know, we want to get, you know, the 20% that have 80% of the liquidity, for example, right? Um, and something like that. Yeah, yeah do not envy... Um you know, those, those protocols, it's a long game for them, right? Like the, the amount of uh, dApps that need to be built on top or apps that need to be built on top, that takes time, it takes people, it takes money, it takes effort. Um, but I think once they, you create that business and, you know, hopefully you're decentralized then that's like, it's going to be one of the more sticky things in the industry. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough game for those guys though. Yeah. There's a, and there's a lot of people like they're building on the protocol level and it's very competitive you know um it's very hard to build a you know a community of you know people to run nodes and you know be validators and stuff and then get like a you know a developer ecosystem running on top of that it's a, it's a very daunting task and um uh, i mean i'm not sure if a lot of them should even be doing that you know um you know there might be better ways to spend their time and resources, you know, just, you know, do we really need another one? <laughs> no, we, we, John and I were talking about this a lot when we were in Miami for uh, the Bitcoin conference was it's, it's almost like too entrepreneurial in the space. You know, it's almost like every single person that gets into the space is so entrepreneurial and wants to start their own thing that they, now have created like 38 competing products where there should be like three, um, you know, and maybe someone's ego is, is such that, you know, if they fail, they still won't go help the other person, even though that other person literally had something so close to their idea that all things aside, they should probably just be best friends. You know, it's it's an interesting scenario though, because like, like if a company goes out of business, okay, go do something else. Now all these two, three person companies, have tokens that are in market it's not so easy to just drop it you know it's like it's a it's a really confusing environment and you know when you see what eight nine thousand tokens traded a day and there's like another 10 to twenty thousand on top of that that aren't traded every day it, it's becoming quite quite a mess um and it's it's also interesting like a lot of these chains are saying exactly the same thing like we're the fastest we're the most scalable we're the most secure and I'd, I'd, I'd wonder like from your side too, I know you look at it like, you know, how much liquidity is there on, on that chain? How, what, what's available to us? Cause you're a DeFi product, but like, how do you look at security um, when you look at these chains? And I guess also when you look at your own product, I noticed, I think you have hacking on your, on your bottom corner of your app. I'd be curious how you look at security. 
Sure. Um, so, I mean, there's risk everywhere in crypto, right? It's a, it's a minefield, right? So you've got, um, you know, there's technical risk, you know, in case of, like, you know, we're talking about a smart contract having some sort of an exploit that's available. Um, there's like economic risk, just like a poorly designed, you know, um, economic system or something, right? That lends itself out to exploits. Um, there's outright, you know, scrams and phishing and stuff that people are trying to steal your seed phrase or your private keys. Um, you know, there's rug pulls, you know, team risk, right? Um, there's there's all, all kinds of different risk, right? Um, and then from like, you know, the security perspective, I mean, we have all the tools. They're just not convenient, right? You know, you can go and, you know, set up a, a cold storage wallet and, you know, you could, you know... <sighs> be really sort of like careful about your OPSEC and stuff like that. Um, but it's too much for most people, right? Um, one thing I, I do really, everyone that I know, I do push them to get a hardware wallet. I mean, that's sort of like pretty, pretty straightforward, like sort of a, a, a base thing that you need to do there. Um, but a lot of people, they'll just have, you know, thousands or tens of thousands, hundred thousands of dollars in, you know, Binance or something, right. You know, with like no 2FA. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. They're just like, whatevs, YOLO. Like, um, so (laughs) yeah, it's, um, obviously, yeah, security, security is a big concern, um, you know, across many, many levels still. Um, but I think the big challenge is just getting people to actually adopt security best practices. Um, I mean, it's hard enough. I try to get my mom to use a password manager, you know, <laughs> that's like mission impossible. Like, you yeah. Know? Right. Or just like the same email address. Like, you know, people don't realize, like, even if you had like a, a hex, you know, password that's 50 characters long, but you're still using the same email address for everything. Like there's one piece that's always the same. It's like, well, what if for every single login, you can have a different email address? Yeah. Right. And it's like, or just not give someone access because you're using, you know, a, like a browser extension that only you have a passphrase to or something. It's like people need to be kind of unwound, like you're saying, from this world where normally they just have money in a bank and that bank yeah. keeps it safe and the government backs it up to a certain, you know, extent. It's like, that's not the case out here. It's still kind of this wild, wild west of like the market is being developed in its, in its infancy. And, you know, if you forget this 12, word thing, you know, or you didn't save it the correct way, or you left it on Binance. And then, you know, you realize like, oh, I live in a country where that's no longer allowed. Suddenly it's gone. Like, you know, but people aren't, they're just not trained to that extent yet. Yeah. And that's, that's another sort of, um, I guess, like a mental shift that people have to take where um, they're like, okay, so it's, I have money in my banking app or something, right? But now like you're, especially if you're holding your own keys, you're responsible, right? Um, it's kind of like having a giant box of cash under your, under your bed in a way, but you just have the ability to, you know, throw it across the world, you know, to somebody else really quickly. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, I know there are some guys that they prefer to keep it on a centralized, um, platform that has, so like, so long as they have insurance, right. Right. So they're like, okay, you know what? My, my funds are here but they are insured and like regulated or whatever. Right. You know, so I feel safer, you know, having it in this, in with these guys have custody of it um, than I would having self custody, Um, which I could understand, especially if you're getting into, you know, very like high net worth, you know, sort of 
holdings, um, that can be like a physical security risk as well too, right? I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard about like um, stickups at like Bitcoin meetups, you know, that's like a thing that's happened, right? You know, um, so yeah, there are a bunch of security implications there um, for sure that um, I don't think there's a perfect solution to it at this point still. Like there's a lot of, a lot of different options that you can sort of um, take advantage of, but um, yeah, it would be good to see less people get scammed um, and less of that, less of that just in general still. Um, it blows me away, like how some of these guys, like they go out and, you know, the like scammers and stuff, right? They'll put so much like work and like effort into some of these things, right? Um, what if they just like, you know, put that all that energy and effort into, you know, building something useful and good or, you know, like why, why not just go that way? I don't know. That's a whole other thing <laughs> the, the whole the whole custody topic is such an interesting one because i think everyone has their their pov but they're they're at a certain um individually they're at a certain evolution in their own life cycle in crypto investing and i i think it's interesting like if you're if you're someone that's just put a few hundred bucks in you have yeah. a very very different perspective than you know getting in in 2012 and owning thousands of bitcoin yeah. you know like <laughs> Like you have a very, very different, you know, view at this. Um, you're probably scared, you know, versus and, and maybe don't know what to do and actually don't even probably know who to turn to. Like who can help me do this right? Does anyone have it right? So that's a it's a pretty complicated topic. And I, I always wonder, you know, when I see like like Michael Saylor go out and buy billions in Bitcoin, like what's that actual process like? Like what is the actual process i i, I want to know more and I, I don't think i've i've heard it but uh, yeah so he's, he's released like uh i think like um or didn't he have a talk or something with like three thousand cfos or whatever like trying yeah to explain his process and stuff is it basically you just have to split the orders across like a lot of different platforms right you know yeah and like very very small orders very frequent but yeah. but the actual like I mean, even in that scenario, like the custody of like one to $5 million, that's a lot of money. But when you're talking that scale, I mean, can you even put it in cold storage in one place? Do you have it in five places? Who has it? Like you start to get into these really complicated scenarios of, you know, liability. And I, I think uh, I, I did want to ask about insurance because this ultimately heads right towards insurance. And yeah. I guess from the perspective of Kefi, you know, how do you view insurance within the context of, of, of DeFi and your platform? Well, um, there's a few few ways. So one of the integrations that we actually do is with the centralized platform called Nexo. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, when, when the Pro app comes out, basically, we've already got an integration with their API where you can do, um, you know, deposit to their earn system. And they are pretty heavily insured still. So that is one way to go about it. You go to a centralized, you know, one where they have insurance. The other one is um, is the decentralized insurance. Or was it uh, Nexus Mutual, right? Yep. Um, so it'd be an integrating with something like that. So I think that's really interesting. The um, the decentralized um, sort of approach there still, um, because basically it's um, it's just it's it's any time that you do these decentralized things, it just opens it up more still, right? Um, like, I guess like um, there's no, there's not really any restrictions on who can go and do that. As long as you pay for the premium, you know, you should have coverage, right? 
Um, I suppose there is still some risk that like, you know, Nexus Mutual could fail, you know, just like completely and like you wouldn't get your insurance payout and that might not be any recourse as there would with a centralized exchange or like a centralized service where, you know, there's an entity that you could sue, you know, if they screw up or something, right? And, you know, you could at least take them to court. But with the DeFi ones, maybe, maybe not. You would have like, you know, an insurance policy on like, you know, deposit somewhere. And I don't know if you, like, I don't think you could sue Wi-Fi, for example, right? Like, um, or Wiren, sorry. Um, so yeah, um, that's probably a space that needs to evolve um, a bit more still. Um, and def- definitely needs to be a, um, made simpler, I guess, for the user. So something like... Um, like automating, you know, the process of um, setting up an insurance policy on your um, on your yield positions. I think that would be yeah. Like I'll, I'll give you an idea. I'd like just to ch- to check a box when I go and place yeah. a trade, and it just takes a bit of the yield away from me. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm insured on the rest. And don't make me think about it. That that yeah. that would be amazing. <laughs> and if it's if it's some sort of API hooked into Nexus Mutual in the back end, smart contract like you know, works all the ways, including paying you out if something happens. Um, like, it's just, this seems to be the biggest issue in, in DeFi. Um, for newcomers, especially, they're, they're scared. They don't trust these brand new things with very small brands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, here here's $300,000. I don't know who you are. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to throw it. So I think the hardest part about insurance is the part where you said, like, the if something happens part, because it's, if something happens, who decides whether or not you get paid out, right? Like if you think about insurance companies, it's like with COVID. As soon as COVID happens, every insurance company just scrambled to write all of that out of everyone's contracts as fast as humanly possible. Like in insurance companies, the like I think the number one thing they say is how to screw everyone. That's number one. Like get that shit out of the contract immediately. But then it's like, who do you go fight? You know, it's like if you if someone backs into someone else with their car and you've got a decentralized insurance product (laughs) right like who comes to check right who's the like the mediator right and so i think people are i'm hearing more grumblings around the industry of like people starting to organize some of these things and like some very large scale things that are going to happen here soon so i'm very interested to see because this is just something you think the math math is there risk assurance it's it's there it's just a matter of how do you decide that if something happens so if i fat finger a a, a wallet address is that on me is that like are they gonna know how do they know they're like oh you put this in wrong on purpose now you're getting paid out on this so i i don't know it's gonna be an interesting i don't know yeah it's a tough one can you get insurance for your boating accident right like <laughs> right. I, I, yeah yeah sorry <laughs> whose fault whose fault was it how much yeah. do they deserve what percent there's like an evaluation right that is like a centralized evaluation yeah you can't just go, okay, cool, cool. You here's here's your money because yes. you you paid me. So we're good now. Done. Like it's it's never that simple. But yeah, th- this is fascinating. But it's also one of the bigger issues. Like, yeah. you know, feeling good about what you're doing. Sleeping yeah. at night. But that's that's why the returns are there in crypto, right? Because of the risk. You know, if there was no risk, you probably wouldn't get as high a return. Right. So then how do you see that working? There's so much discussion about, you know, uh, working with centralized entities, banks, CFI plus DeFi, whatever we're going to call it. I don't know the yeah. 
what what phrase has been coined yet cd fi like (laughs) so like if there's so much risk you know and and, you know you're going to see the banks get involved in some manner how do you see that evolving right so i think the issue with banks from my perspective is that right now if a problem happens they can just go in the database and just adjust everyone's balance you know right you can't do that on DeFi, right like you know the bank doesn't have the authority to just go and like put the tokens back right that's not how it works um so that's i think the biggest barrier um in that sense though so I'm, I'm not sure how I, I'm, I'm not like a real like centralized, you know, finance guy or anything. So, um, but I, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how a bank would be able to like really leverage some of this stuff. I think probably they're just going to approach it as, you know, uh, an investment class, I guess, like, um, you know, they, you know, these crypto assets are something that you could buy and sell more or less. Right. Um, and then I guess they'll have sort of internal um, holdings that they would allocate to their customers, you know, in, in sort of um, in a more centralized manner for them where they kind of maybe like, I don't know, maybe like, I don't know, Chase Bank goes out and buys like, you know, 100,000 Bitcoin or something. Right. And then they just keep those 100,000 Bitcoin inside the little walled garden, you know, and it never really goes back out into the wild. Um, but then they can allocate those balances for their customers. I don't know, maybe something like that. I think that makes that makes a lot of sense because they're going to want that custody if they're going to bear that risk. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting thought versus like I, I think some some discussions I've heard have been like, oh yeah, which are they going to work with Ave? Are going to work with Compound? Are they going to do this or that? And I'm, I, the more I think so about risky. it, I'm like, well. <laughs> well, it's it's not only risky. It's like okay, so if if I could get you know eleven percent on something in Ave, what do you want to bet if that bank is offering they'll, they'll rebrand whatever it is, and what do you want to bet that bank will give you one percent and you're stoked because right now you're getting point zero one percent. Yeah, so, so interest rates are outrageous. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting. So where where do you where do you see like where are we at with DeFi adoption right now? Like where do you see where are we at in in I guess. Are we in the infancy? Are we still in the first inning? You know, where do you see in general DeFi going? Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely it's infancy. I mean, just like how long is it? It's been or like really only been picking up for 18 months, let's say, I'd say. Right. Like, um, you know, I watched the, the DeFi Pulse Index, you know, go from like, I remember when it hit a billion, like 1 billion. And it was like, wow, you know, right? Um, so... Yeah, it's it's still very early for that. Um, I think probably in the future you're gonna see the the meme stuff is probably gonna die down. Um, you're gonna see a lot of things that are claiming to be DeFi that are not really DeFi. They're really just like right. you know, kind of point pointless stuff is gonna eventually fade away still. Um, but stuff that really makes sense, which is improving interest rates on stablecoin yields that's the thing that everybody wants, right? I mean, you can put 10% yield in everyone's pocket in the world. I mean, that's, you know, there's a huge opportunity for that. So just, just that still, just, just getting people to trust a USDC deposit in a smart contract and get 10% yield. You can, if you can create a, a user experience that's friendly enough and you can create enough trust, you know, that, you know, my aunt, or my uncle, or my, you know, 
my sister who works in a bank and wants nothing to do with crypto, um, you, know, <laughs> uh, you get them to like, you know, to trust that and uh, to get into that, it's a huge opportunity there. So, um, yeah. And then, um, you know, obviously the, the, the lending part of that as well too, being able to do leveraged positions on chain by using these sort of money markets. Um, you know, if the rates for borrowing are competitive as well too, I wonder, um, it seems right now like the, the move would be to take advantage of the low interest rates for centralized finance, like borrowing, and then like put that, because I mean, you could put that and get more yield yep. than what it would cost you to borrow, right? So probably an opportunity there to try and like link those two together. And then I wonder if that would, if that happened enough, if that would like kind of self-correct at some point. I think that's what uh, Sailor was saying when he, I don't know if he mentioned, he's like, you know, taking a loan out on your house and, and putting it into Bitcoin. I think it was like, I think that was like out of context, like the way he said it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like you can go get a 30 year loan right now for 2.6%. Right? right. And then you can turn around and go to even like a super centralized Coinbase and get 4% on USDC. Right. So like four minus yeah. two, like carry the one, like, you know, what, <laughs> it's like, it's pretty simple math right there to understand that like there's outperforming assets. And, you know, the one thing that I love is that, like I was saying, like a lot of people don't understand traditional finance and this is bringing in a whole new class of people that are understanding NFTs is the first time they get in and they're like, okay, I got to get Ethereum. And then like, Ooh, if I press this button on curve or wherever I'm at, then I get this interest rate. And it's just this whole new training of finance that's, that's going on. And I think you're exactly right where it's like, you know, the way I try to explain it to the, you know, the, the generation or anyone that doesn't really understand what's going on is, you know, if you can get 8% on a stable coin, you know, the amount of money that you need to put in to expose to that risk is much lower to get the same yield that you get from, I don't know what the number one, like interest bearing account is probably like a Marcus at like Goldman Sachs for like 2% or something like that on some sort of like CD certificate of deposit, which is like crazy to even think about that word. Um, but it's like, you need to put, so if you've got a million dollars to get the same, you know, 3% that you were going to get there, you only need to put a hundred thousand dollars in, you know, so it's like your, your risk, you know, your exposure is different. And so I think that's like, gets people over the hump. They're like, oh, okay, like I can get the same return, but I only need to put this at risk. But it's also, it has a lot to do with like age and the person and you know if someone's worked their entire life to get this thing and they just truly they're like the, the best question i always get is like well where does it go like where does the money when i press this button where does it go and so i always say well where does it go when you give it to the bank all right they're like well the bank has it i was like well the bank doesn't have nope. it they have zero percent reserve requirements i go i go didn't you watch like it's a wonderful life like it's in his house or their house or wherever so i was like it's the same thing i was like but you know, the bank's running, you know, AWS or Microsoft servers <laughs> and the DeFi protocol is probably doing the same, right? That's why Bitcoin's, you know, Bitcoin is because you don't have to worry about it, but it's people like I'm already way, I'm already past them, right? So it's like, you just have to say, put a little bit of money in, press the button, see what happens. And like, that's, that's how they have to learn. Yeah. Yeah. The best way to learn is to just do it, right? Like to actually just jump in and start trying things. So um, yeah, that's, that's my advice to anyone out there who is, uh, you know, looking to try DeFi for the first time. Just, you just got to go in and try it. Bud. <laughs> <laughs>
is that is so true it's it's funny it's it's more of a a, a mechanics slash user experience game than it is a financial game like once you f- figure out that pattern um even some of these things you could say like staking for example like some of these these different tools they make you you have to claim and then like re-add those funds back into the pool like some some of them make you come back every day to do yeah. this thing it's like it ends up becoming a habit and a mechanic versus like what's my yield like most of the time you're not even paying attention. You just know that you have a task to do and you get used to it. Even, even if the experience is subpar, um, you still just get used to it. So it's, it's pretty interesting to, to see that. And, and I think like that part of it seems to be like, man, there's so much room for improvement on that, on the user experience side of it. And I'd be, I'm, I'm especially curious to hear your view on that where, um, I mean, you're really focused on automation. It sounds like longer term. And I guess, yeah, how do you exactly. see user experience and automation like coming together? Where do you see that going? Well, I think what you're going to see is the infrastructure kind of remain mostly the same, right? So, I mean, the way that these smart contracts are built and, you know, the functions that need to be called and, you know, like you said, like the steps, you know, people have to go through and do all of these things manually right now, right? Uh, that, the, that underlying layer is probably not going to change too much still. Like there's only so much you can do with Solidity, uh, you know, in terms of how things are getting managed, like, you know, and then if you want the the composability of DeFi, which is, again, one of the, the, the awesomest sort of things about it is, you know, how you can have platforms interact with other platforms and layer things, right? So you could basically keep the mechanics all the same as they are now, and then just create automation flows, right? Um, so that instead of having to go and like claim those rewards and sell them and re-add to your um, liquidity position, it just is doing that for you automatically. You know, um, but then the the issue here is is um, there's there's two of them for for automation with DeFi specifically is that you need to have either a smart contract that you can trust that you can put your funds into or that that contract is going to be able to control your yield positions. Uh, right. And then there's going to be another bot like, you know, maybe a centralized um, automation service that's you're giving permission to sort of manage your funds on chain like that or you're going to have to run something locally and like run a soft wallet with like a little automation server on your computer or, or something like that right um so there's either trade-offs of like you know there's um you know you're going to have to trust some kind of a service to run the automation for you or you can run it yourself but it's a little bit more hassle right um so we're actually working on both of these still. We're working on both the smart contract automation aspect of it and also because um, we're working with SelfKey. They have a desktop wallet um, mm-hmm. that's open source. So I've um, been talking with them about adding in automation into their SelfKey, uh, the SelfKey wallet. So basically somebody could download SelfKey wallet, just run it on the computer. The wallet would connect to our API to get the alerts feeds, right? And then, you know, based on those conditions that happen, it could trigger... Um, uh, a transaction locally from their their soft wallet there, right? Um, I don't see any way to automate a hardware wallet. Um, so, yeah, if you have any <laughs> ideas on that, I mean, you gotta you gotta go click the button to you know approve the transaction, right? So, which is unfortunate, you know, but at the same time, you know, I think that's that's the trade off there, right? So, um, yeah, we're those are the two sort of um, approaches to automation that we're looking at. And again, like, um, you know, the the mechanics of DeFi don't necessarily have to change much. It's really just removing all of that from the user's experience and 
letting them just, you know, focus on a couple of things. And, you know, most of the population, they don't want to look, you know, at their banking app every day necessarily, right? Like, you know, they just want to put their money in a savings account and then like check it once a year or something and, you know, see how much it's gone up or whatever, right? Um, no, Nobody wants to go click collect yield. I'm not normal. What are you, what are you trying to say? Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, uh, when the market's going no. up, how do I sleep? No. <laughs> no, you're right though. The majority, like a lot of people just, you know, like I would say that if they're not understanding it, they want it to be simple. You know, they want it, it like take all the intelligence and bring it down to a button and, and make this simple for me and, and you're going to win. Yeah. Yeah. Where's my, the make money button, you know, let me <laughs> all right. get, to, get to work. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, we're coming up on time here. I really, you know, appreciate you coming on and um, sharing everything with us. I mean, how do like, so how do people get started on Kefi? Like, where do they go? What, like, where, where do you suggest they go to kind of get started in the simplest way? And um, how do they find you guys? Yeah. Um, so you go to keyfi.com. Um, and yeah, you can learn more about the project there. Still, um, you can jump in our telegram group as well too. um, say hello. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the private beta is going to be coming really soon for Keyfi pro. Um, so that's, that's what I say I'm really excited for. So, um, if you want to get access to Keyfi pro for the private beta, you can, um, get some Keyfi tokens and have those um, staked in the uh, staking contract, and then you can earn some more Kefi. Um, you know, we have a bunch of other um, sort of you know liquidity pools and some other stuff that we're experimenting with there. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, that would be that would be it. Still, uh, if our marketing guy Vinny was here, he'd be he'd be so mad still that I'm just doing a terrible job of this. <laughs> we'll try. We'll try to help him out. So Kefi.com, get in there, connect your wallet. Um, start learning, looking at some of the earn, start looking at deposit. You have, I see you have swapping in there, you know, with Uniswap and one inch and everyone else, you've got the pools, you got a really cool dashboard. Um, I like the, I don't know if it's the dashboard or, um, I like where you can actually like look at, um, I, like, I, I feel like there's like a huge opportunity for like accounting platforms with blockchain. Cause it's all there. I like that you could like add a, just an address and kind of, it'll organize it for you. Um, I haven't seen anyone else that's doing that. So um, that's really cool too. Um, but yeah, no, definitely everyone get in there. It looks like you got a couple different, you got um, Chinese and English in here too, uh, which is oh, really cool. So now I see why you're prioritizing <laughs> multiple languages. Very well done. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. No, cool, Ben. This is awesome, man. I you know, wish you guys the best of luck. I think you're going to do really well. Uh, very clean app. Um, you know, you're thinking about all the right things, um, and appreciate you coming on here today and, and sharing it with us. Yeah. Thanks so much again. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, we've only been around for six, six or seven months, I think now still. So, you know, it's very, um, very early stage, early stage development, you know, startups. That's, that's what I, what I like doing. So yeah. <laughs> no, welcome. Thank you so much, man. And we'll, uh, we'll chat with you backstage and everyone listening. Thank you so much. Um, check them out. Kefi.com and John as always. 